go to verse number one. We kind of finished there in Acts 20 and verse one last week, but uh, we're going to start it up again. And this is going to conclude the third uh, missionary journey. We're going to just get all of it done. Now, Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. He's in the middle of his journey, and he's making his way to Jerusalem, but it's, he's, he's still got a long ways off. Uh, and there's some historical things we'll see as we go through, and then, of course, some lessons. We're going to kind of do it a little bit like you've seen uh, in, the, in the past with, uh, or not in the past, last week with, uh, we'll just kind of uh, identify the application as we go through. So verse number one is uh, mostly through Ephesus, and then he, he is leading, I'm sorry, leaving Ephesus. Uh, do we have that, uh, Rob, would you find that, that, I did put a picture on there, there's two pictures in the file, uh, and I did not tell you about that, I was going through this morning, uh, the, the map, map, and one is a zoomed in picture, so show that one second, so if you get the, the one that doesn't have a zoom, it's pretty obvious, uh, but I wanted to kind of show you because a lot of what we're reading, and part of the reasons we're going to cover so much ground is because there's a lot of these verses are just traveling verses. And they help us to pinpoint kind of how Paul made his way back and forth. But other than that, we don't, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot else going on except for the fact that he went from here, spent seven days, and he went here and spent five days, and went here and spent three days. And it may have been more meaningful to the people back then who knew that place and knew those people. One another thing we see is that Luke picks up his first person narrative again. Uh, somewhere in here, and he will start talking about the we's again. He did that for a short time, and then he stopped, and he started talking about Paul, uh, and it almost seemed like he was telling a story about someone, and then all of a sudden he switches gears again, and he is, uh, and it is as if he is right there along with him experiencing all of these things. One thing I, I read this week that uh, will help us a little bit in our in our uh, studies here is that there's, there's a, a belief that, that Paul may have had a fourth journey that is not mentioned uh, in the scriptures. And you'll see some, some reasons why that is there. I can't really say that I'm, I have a thing either way about it. I'm sure that Paul uh, spent some time traveling that is not mentioned, but uh, whether or not it was an official journey or not, uh, that's, the Bible doesn't report it, so I don't say that it is, but uh, there is some evidence that it might be there. There's, a, there's the first picture, and we're going to, we're going to blow that up just to one spot in a few minutes. But so Paul has kind of come through. He's, uh, if you follow the red dotted line, I blew it up because I knew it's kind of hard for you to see. But uh, he, to follow the red dotted line, and he's gone from from. Uh, he, well, I'm sorry. He's up in uh, he's up in Ephesus right now, which is just to the left of Asia, uh, the word Asia there, and uh, he is going to make his way. Uh, up north, and then he's going to go to Corinth, and then he's going to make his way back down, and the dotted line will be his return trip. And so if you'll keep that up there just for reference, and then we'll put the other one up here in just a second. We're going to kind of magnify that that uh, that image a little bit and help you to see it better. Verse number one, after and after the uproar was ceased, this is the uproar, uh, the two-hour-plus uh, riot in the theater in Ephesus uh, over uh, that... Uh, uh, I think it was uh, I said, yeah, Demetrius uh, kind of got started. It says, After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. Now, in three verses or two verses there, we have traveled from Ephesus all the way to Corinth. And if you look on the map there, that's 
like beginning, that's the middle to the end. And so in those, those little verses, he just tells us by going into Macedonia, he was traveling to Philippi and to Apollonia and, and, and Berea and Thessalonica and all those different places. And then making his way down into Greece, which uh, was likely Corinth. There could have been another place, but that's the, the church in Achaia that we know of. But that's, uh, that's, we've covered a lot of distance in just a few verses here. And so, and then the, the, the kind of the next main part of the story happens while we're in Greece or in Corinth. And, and there are about three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, uh, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, uh, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. Uh, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them uh, to uh, Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. As Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So in this uh, short passage here, 12 verses, we have gone... Uh, from one end to the other and back almost. Uh, this is and this is how we kind of read the rest of the chapter. We just see a lot of travel notices how he's making his way through. But it helps us to make neat little maps like that, so we get an idea of where his missionary journey went. Especially since most of these places aren't places that we're familiar with. If he had said Paul traveled to Texas and then he traveled north into New Hampshire and then across over to Michigan and down into Colorado. We could probably follow that a little bit more, but when we're talking about places like Samos and Thracia and and Thessalonica, most people can't identify that on a map, uh, let alone spell some of those things. So uh, it's a a difficult task that we have lying, so the maps help us. So uh, he leaves Ephesus after the riot, and Paul begins to travel to Macedonia, visiting places such as Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica. Now, it was in Ephesus that Paul had written 1 Corinthians, a little, just a little bit of a side notes here that kind of, this is what's going on and this is kind of interesting, but not necessarily what we'll spend a lot of time on. It was during, and during his Ephesus stay, remember he stayed three years in Ephesus, it was during that time that he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. And uh, he was, it was basically a rebuke about their behavior. If you remember our study through that, it was a very negative letter and pinpointing a lot of the big issues that they had. Well, as we read through the gospel, I'm sorry, through the through the Acts uh, and through his epistles, you get a little bit of an understanding of what was going on behind the scenes. Paul had a great desire to see them, and yet he was not sure how they were going to receive that letter. And so uh, he, uh, Gaius goes before him, and uh, I'm sorry, not Gaius, Titus. Uh, he sent he, he sends Titus ahead to determine their reaction, and Titus brings back news. You can read it in Second Corinthians. And he, and he reads that, and, and then that's what brings Paul down into Corinth, realizing that they, they have changed. They have, uh, if, you, if you know your, your two epistles there, they were on one extreme, and they actually swung to the other extreme. For instance, the one man that uh, was uh, 
living with his with his father's wife uh, was within the church, and everybody was great with it. And Paul's like, you got to get that out of your church. You can't have that kind of sin in the church. And so they, they did. Now, the idea was what Paul was trying to teach them was church discipline to uh, get that man to stop living that way so that he could rejoin fellowship. But the church was like not letting him back in. He changed his ways, and the church wouldn't let him back in. And so that's kind of what Second Corinthians deals with a little bit. He's like, all right, now that he's repented, you've got to bring him back in the fold. You can't just leave him out there. He's not... Uh, He's not lost forever, and so the uh, this is this is kind of what's what's happened during this time. So he goes back to Corinth, and he's he's been desirous to see of them, uh, see them again, and uh, finally he gets back there, and he spends uh, some time there. Uh, he uh, it was uh, sea travel, and all of those things were unfavorable, and so he stayed in Corinth these these uh, winter months, these three months here, and uh, this would have been when he wrote the book of Romans, when he writes uh, when he writes. Uh, them he's in Corinth and he's thinking I want to go left I want to go west to uh, Rome but I need to go to Jerusalem first because he had been entrusted with a collection uh, that he speaks of in I think in Corinthians uh, that he says I'm going to bring this collection that has been uh, uh, given by the many churches in in Asia and Macedonia for the church in Jerusalem and so he is going to accompany that collection along with what is likely the, the purpose of these other men who are listed here. Uh, some would say that these were representatives of the specific churches. It does tell us where they were uh, specifically from. Here, I, I wrote it down here. Oh, no, I did not write it down here. I wrote it down somewhere else. But uh, some, it says here, were from Thessalonica, and some were from uh, uh, Asia, which would have been Ephesus there, and obviously Timothy from Lystra there, so that that's one's from Berea there. That that could have been what it was there, but as they were about to go, that Paul learns of yet another plot to kill him by the Jews, uh, and he was going to likely sail uh, all the way to Syria from uh, from Corinth. But when he realizes that there is an attempt, uh, or it would be an assassination attempt, he decides to travel by land. So uh, if we can speculate then that they were probably going to try to kill him somewhere on the water. And, and maybe go on the boat with him and then do something to him there. So he finds out about it, and he travels north. So this is kind of an unexpected or unplanned uh, return back through some of these places, uh, and definitely he's taking the long way home. But he's trying to get back to Jerusalem for uh, the uh, uh, for the, the holiday there for, uh, for, I think, Passover. My mind is just going blank all of a sudden for some of these, some of these little details here. Uh, but the seven men who accompanied him uh, travel with him. But then as we're reading through it, it seems like, too, that Paul decided that he didn't want to travel with people because you see these little things like, well, I'll meet you there. And they would continue sailing, and then Paul would travel by land and uh, meet up with them and, and uh, send them on ahead of himself. And so uh, there's a lot that's going on that we don't know about. That Maybe Paul realizes that this is he's getting near the end. Maybe Paul is wanting to visit some extra churches. Maybe Paul like many of us, and he just needs his space, and <laughs> I need some time alone because I've been around people too long, and I need to, I need to uh, unwind a little bit. We don't know uh, what, Paul was, what Paul was doing there. Maybe Paul was hunting. Never, I mean, never know. He had his rifle with him, and he was, he was hunting, and he just wanted to get some good, I don't know what he's doing, but you can speculate. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. Uh, but so he, he, uh, he travels here for five days, and they land in Troas, and this is where they, they spend a week, and we have a, a, an interesting story uh, here. In Taras, Paul is with the church. He's teaching. He's encouraging. 
and he's been there for a week. So on his last day there, uh, he knows it's his last day. They're going to board this ship. They're going to take off. He has one very, very long church meeting with these people. And they're meeting in this house, and they're meeting up on the third floor of this house. So uh, probably it was not the, the, the owner of the house was not necessarily a person that was un- unloading you know, or unlocking the whole room for them or whatever it may be, but they're up in the third story, so maybe they're in some conference center, hotel and conference center, uh, and, and they're, in, they're in this meeting conference room up there, and it says that it was, it was long, late into the night. Let me read this again and just kind of get some of the, pull some of the details out as we're reading through it there in verse number uh, six. Uh, we sailed away uh, from Philippi after the, uh, after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, right there is, is where a lot of Baptists would have drawn the line and said, well, who is he preaching to? Because I wouldn't have been there that long. Uh, but uh, he, he's been preaching for a long while, and now he's preaching until midnight. But he knows, and they know, he's leaving on the last day. And, and uh, it is likely that they knew, and Paul knew, that uh, this, this wouldn't happen again, or at least for very long time and so they're just staying up late into the night paul is preaching to them speaking to them they're eating together and that would have taken some time but then it says here they're sat in the window verse nine uh oh, i'm sorry verse eight and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together uh this the inclusion of this detail may have just meant because of uh, uh it was dark outside or that's how they you know they needed the lamps to travel but i wonder with these lamps with the you know, when you have a clo- an enclosed room with a lot of people, and then there's there's the the, the smoke and stuff and the, the, the candles and it bothers people, so you just open a window for fresh air. Well, here's here's Eutychus. You know what his name means? I, I never knew this until I studied out. You know what Eutychus means? It means lucky. Like this is a lucky kid right here. The common name of Eutychus means lucky, and this lucky kid is is uh, sitting in the windowsill. So he was uh, probably not very old. Uh, because most people with sense don't sit in the windowsills while they're tired and drowsy. And he falls asleep while Paul is preaching. Uh, I know the feeling, uh, that, uh, with that uh, how to do that to people. I'm pretty good at making people fall asleep. Uh, but uh, he's sitting in the window. He falls into a deep sleep. And it says, and as Paul was long preaching, this is Luke. Maybe Luke is penning this while Paul's doing it. Like, Paul went a long time that night. I mean, Paul was going. He was on a roll. And he is long preaching. He sunk down with sleep. They fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Eutychus dies. Uh, he Paul killed someone by preaching too long. I mean, this is this is uh, hazardous to your health if you go too long while you're preaching. But this is this is um, this is what happens. And then they go down. Obviously, that kind of disrupted the service at least for a moment. Paul quits speaking. He runs down. He embraces him, picks him up, and. Uh, and uh, says, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, I think that, uh, that Paul, God used Paul here to, to resurrect him, but uh, it doesn't give us a whole bunch of the details. In fact, it kind of seems like they just kind of left after that. Like, all right, he's okay. And they walk back inside, and guess what they do? They eat again, and they start preaching again. Like, maybe we should call it quits for tonight, but this is after midnight. And they're like, hey, let's eat again. Let's do this. And then, uh, you know, Almost like it's a, a third, third wheel here. Oh yeah, about Eutychus, and it says, and they brought the young man alive, and we're not a little comforted. So like, yeah, everyone, we were all really glad that Eutychus was not dead anymore, 
But uh, this is this is an interesting, just a very interesting uh, uh, story here. But uh, we we see this is how uh, this is how Paul is is being used by God, uh, not only to speak to people, but to uh, to to give physical help to people who need it. Uh, again, at God's at God's uh, will. We go on, verse thirteen. And we went before to ship and sailed to Asos. They're intending to take in Paul. This is where Paul had decided to travel by himself over land. For so he had appointed, uh, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over to Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. Again, does anybody know where these places are on the map? Can you identify them? No? All right. I'm not even sure I said them right. Let's look at the other picture on the uh, on the screen there, and just get a little bit of a close-up view of uh, many of the places. So this is just that that same map, but to just a blown-up picture there. So he's in Troas at the very top there, and he begins traveling down north, and he's uh, going to make his way to Miletus, and this is where he's going to call the Ephesian elders to him, and the bulk of the chapter is going to uh, deal with his time speaking with them, but he won't stop in Ephesus. Uh, because he wants to make it to Jerusalem by a specific time, and for his, in his reasoning at least, if he stops in Ephesus, that he won't make it in time. And so he goes past Ephesus to Miletus, and there he calls the elders to him. And so you can see there, Asos to Mytilene, to Chios, to Samos, to Gilliam, and to Miletus. Let's keep reading uh, verse number 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of Jews, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith for our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is uh, calling these Ephesian elders to together. Because he does want to, uh, he doesn't want to go to Ephesus, but he does want to speak to them one last time. And in this, uh, in this final farewell, he does say, "This is the last time that we're going to be together." I, I don't think that I, I read it, or maybe I read it and I don't remember reading it. But in verse number sixteen, uh, it says, "For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost." All right? I think I said Passover earlier. He wanted to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so he knew he had to be there. That was a specific day and time. And he felt that if he were to stop in Ephesus, there would be no chance he made it in time. We're talking about uh, sea travel and being you know, at the whim of, uh, we're, not, uh, we're not high-powered boats and ships and things. So he's got a long ways to go, and he, and he doesn't necessarily have a long time to do it in. And so he, he does, though, decide to call these elders to him, and he gives them some very important things. Now, in this passage right here, verses... 17 through 21, we see what I'm calling here Paul's essentials of Christian ministry. And this applies to all of us, uh, not just to the people to whom he speaks here, but of the Ephesian elders. Uh, he reviews his ministry among them, and then he gives them these essentials of ministry. And so he's going to give them five of them. I want to show them with you quickly. Uh, number one is his ministry of personal example, or you could call it doing ministry by personal Example, ministering by personal example. And he says here, from day one, I was with you. I lived with you. I worked right beside you. I worked making tents with you. I worked in the fields with you. I was in the hospital with you. I ate with you. 
uh, I was I was there with you. It wasn't just a uh, you heard me talk a few times, but I lived with you. I I spent time among you, and he's talking to the people with whom he spent the most time on any of his missionary uh, stops. There three years doing life with them, working and laughing, uh, working and 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 playing and laughing and crying with these people and developing relationships. You know, they say that more is caught than is taught, and uh, the, the Paul by Paul's example by living among them and teaching them, but then living what he taught and letting them see. Uh, that's why Paul can make statements such as, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, Christ is gone, but I am following Christ. And if you need a human example uh, right in front of you every day on how to live the Christian life and deal with the same things that you're dealing with, you can watch me because I'm going to follow Christ. I'm, I have a confident grasp of what the Bible tells me to do, and I'm going to do it that way. And you can learn by reading the Bible, and you can learn by watching me. And that was, that was how he ministered to people by his personal example. Number two, he had a ministry of service or ministering by serving. He says there, I was serving the Lord. The word serving there is the Greek word doulos, which means more than servant, but more like slave. I am the slave of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. It's not my, it, it is, it is not that I can, it's not a job that I clock in nine to five. I, I, I serve at this place. Uh, no, I, he, this is my life. This is what I do. I don't have, this is not a, a clock in and clock out. This is my life, and I am a slave, not just a server. Uh, but notice how he serves. See, three ways he says, I served with humility, That's with, without pride, without selfishness, uh, and not for his own benefit. He wasn't there for his own, for his own uh, gain. Uh, he served with tears, because it wasn't always good times that he was there. He was there with them for both good and bad times. And even these little phrases like this, Help us to see that there is more that happened than what was recorded that uh, in Ephesus. Uh, and then we see that uh, then he, he served with temptations or with trials. And he endured persecution from the very people he had been trying to reach. First the Jews and then even the Gentiles who were hostile to the gospel. Then we see he had a ministry of teaching. Uh, which he, when he said here, I kept nothing back profitable from you. Uh, he spoke and taught anything and everything that was helpful to them. And that's how Paul served them. That's how he ministered to them, was by teaching them everything that would be helpful to them. Not just the stuff that makes you feel good, and not just the stuff that you like to hear. We all have kind of favorites. I like to learn this. I like to study this. Some people, I like the the, res the revelation, and other people, I like the Gospels, or I like the Old Testament story. But Paul said, I taught you everything that you needed to hear. Here, even the stuff that wasn't fun, even the stuff that you didn't like hearing, that was difficult to to receive, and even the stuff that was difficult to understand. Sometimes, like, man, why do I need to study this? This is too much. This is way over my head. And yet Paul, who could go very, very deep, and Paul, who could stay uh, in the shallow end and still teach well, said, I gave you everything that you needed to have uh, he and he did it, and he did it in three years. Uh, and he, obviously, he did it more than on Sunday from ten to eleven. I think uh, maybe this idea of uh, what he did in Troas was uh, maybe more of the norm than uh, than what we would be used to. Lots of teaching and going on. Then we see number number four is he had a ministry of discipleship. This was a both publicly and privately. He said there that I was with you publicly and from house to house, in church 
but from house to house as well. This is, this is how Paul uh, discipled with them every day. And Paul's ministry was an everyday ministry. It was not isolated uh, by a, to one hour per week. Paul's ministry was there living with them, working with them, and discipling and preaching, and doing it all the time. He was always on the clock, if you will. He was willing to disciple them at church on Sunday, but then also at the dinner table on Monday, and on the job site on Tuesday, and in the backyard on Wednesday, and and wherever he was, whenever he was, that was his disciple time. Uh, And and this is important as as we continue on. The last one, ministry by preaching. And he proclaimed the gospel to all people. He said at the very end there, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Both, uh, both classes of people, if you will, the Jews and non-Jews. Uh, but and notice what he, what he preached there. Uh, preaching repentance toward God and faith uh, in, toward Jesus. Now, he was basically scattering seed on all the ground. Again, going back to the Matthew 13 parable, uh, he didn't look for the good ground and say, I'm only going to scatter seed where I think it's going to do the best good. He said, I scattered seed everywhere. And then where I saw, you know, certain ground was receiving the seed, then I focused on that. That's, that's discipleship. Evangelism is scattering the seed. Discipleship is, that's where the discretion is like, you know, I see, I see something happening here. I'm going to spend some time there. If you've ever gardened, you know that probably, probably not, a, not a bad uh, way to garden, but then sometimes you get it wrong, right? And you, then you learn this just keeps producing fruit. I'm going to really focus on here. And that over there, I just can't seem to make anything grow over there. Uh, and that over there, I mean, the birds always take that away right away. And this is how Paul did, did discipleship. This is how Paul did missions. He preached repentance. Uh, and, and I, and I kind of see this, though this is not completely isolated. I see this uh, by repentance and then by, by faith. I see this kind of how he describes his Gentile ministry and his Jewish ministry. Because the Gentile ministry, remember, he would always start with the Jews. Because they already had that foundation of the one true God. And so with the Gentiles, when he preached of Jesus, he always had to back up and start with the fundamental, there is only one God. He's not one of many. And So I kind of see that as this repentance toward God. And then I see this preaching faith towards Jesus, kind of describing his Jewish ministry to the people who already had a fundamental idea of who God is, but yet they needed to to, uh, focus that on Jesus Christ Himself. And these are these are the five things in Paul's ministry, but these are really how we do ministry as well. We have a ministry to uh, to reach... Uh, we, we have ministry. This church is a ministry, but personally, we each have a ministry, and uh, the, this ought to be the way that we categorize it. Uh, we can minister to people with our personal example. And that means living day in and day out uh, among the people in, in our life and letting them not just hear... But see, like I said this morning, uh, don't just talk about your faith. Show them. Show your faith. Show it, show it by your works. And that's what Paul did. Uh, he, what he taught was not just something that he talked about. It's also what he actually lived by. Remember that old, that old uh, commercial for uh, Hair Club for Men? The very end, he says, I'm not only a, a, a client, I'm, I'm not only the president, I'm also a client. You know, and that's what he's saying. I bought into my own product. I'm buying what I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm having, what I'm telling you, you should do, and that's what Paul did. I'm I'm following Christ just as I am teaching you uh, about Christ, and that's and that's how we ought to we ought to live, and that's how we minister to people as well. If we're going to reach the world, we're going to do it, uh, reach our community. We're going to do it by a ministry of personal example. We're going to do it by serving people, uh, because it's not for me. I'm here to serve. 
the word ministry is. It's a service. It's a, it's a, it's a, I'm here to help you. And so whenever we come to ministry time, official ministry time, it ought to be with an attitude of service. But also, it's not just, it's not just that we have a clock in and clock out time, but, um, though I only work from Awana on this specific day, or the only, uh, though I only preach specifically, uh, you know, on certain days, I'm a Christian all the time. And so I ought to be willing, it kind of talks about this, um, a little bit here, but with the with the discipleship about being every day, I'm a Christian all the time, and I'm always ready to help a brother uh, and talk about the Bible. I'm always ready to evangelize when the 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 opportunity arises, when someone comes across my path, when someone tells me what they're doing, and it's things that happen outside of the official church times that really make that I think really make things make things happen. And uh, we see that we see the fruit of that a little bit more easily. But these five things are things that we ought to implement in our own. Look, think about this this idea of, of discipleship, um, publicly and privately. Not everybody can get up publicly and do the, do the do the whole preaching thing. You know, we can only have at least one at a time, right? And and um, I keep taking all of the turns. But the the there is a day to day, there is a house to house. If we were to all do ministry house to house, visiting with someone and spending some time talking about uh, things that edify, but also the way that we meet with other people and we just, maybe it's one little statement in a conversation, or maybe it's an entire conversation about the Lord, or maybe it's just sending out that text and saying, hey, let's get together and, and, and have coffee, and you're directing that conversation towards spiritual things. Uh, those are those are important, uh, and thus, that's, that's ministry, that's Christian ministry, and if we are going to be effective ministers, uh, these are the five elements that we're going to have. Let's um, let's uh, read just a little bit to this uh, this last one, and then I'm going to uh, we'll come back to the rest of it uh, the next time. Let's keep reading. We'll do the next section to verse 26. And now, behold, I go bound into the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. There's a lot more here than we have time to unpack. Let me briefly just take a look at what it is, and we'll come back and look at it. Second, excuse me, second time next week. Uh, but though the end seems near to Paul, it's likely about ten years from now before Paul's going to die. Paul's got this this attitude as you're reading through it, like, oh yeah, he knows he's going to. You know. But when Paul finally makes it to Jerusalem, he does get arrested, but he still got quite a bit of ministry. Uh, history says that uh, he was uh, he arrived in Jerusalem around 57 A.D., but he didn't die until around 67 A.D. And so he's got a long ways to go still, but yet he knows that this is probably the last time he's going to see these people. And his ministry was about people. And he felt led of the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, though he also felt that it wasn't going to be fun and happy times. And he said there that I've seen through experience that when I go places, especially when I go to Jerusalem, the last time, at least one of the last times he was in Jerusalem, they ran him out. He had to escape for his life. And yet he knows that this is kind of this is what God wants. But notice what he says there. He has his attitude about life. I think I gave you three things there. His attitude about life. Number one, his life is not his own. 
He says, I, I don't count these things dear to me. It's my life. It's just my life. It's just my life. What can they do? Kill me? Is that all they're going to do? But because it's, it's not his own life. It, he's, he's there. Uh, he's not saving his life for something else. He views serving Christ as the best way to spend one's life. He sees it as a course to be finished. Uh, he says there, um, it, it is a, I count my, uh, neither account I my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. He calls his life a course, a race. And then he calls his life a ministry. He says there that it's a ministry to complete. Again, going back to that idea of Christian ministry. If, if my life is a ministry to complete, then it should have certain characteristics and qualities about it. And we go back to how he viewed Christian ministry in Ephesus. Uh, we can take those same principles and apply them to Christian ministry in Sherman, Primer, Finley Lake, wherever you live, uh, by discipling people, by teaching people. You don't have to have an official class to teach people the gospel. Uh, you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to be have a title to be a discipler. You don't have to have uh, you know official official capacity to do these things. Uh, you can live as a Christian minister where you are uh, every day, every day of your life. We're going to stop there and, and we'll come back and pick this up next uh, next Sunday and uh, continue with it. Uh, explain these three things and then go on into uh, when he's going to make it into Jerusalem. But uh, there's some important things. Let me encourage you this week to just take some time and look at those, those five things again, the Christian ministry, and really think about it, meditate on them. How, am I, how is my life uh, reflecting in those areas? 